Nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring today. Robert Half is here to help. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Last week on the show, you heard from the person we called the most powerful woman in tech. Margaret Vesterher isn't actually running a tech company, though, or inventing anything new. Instead, she's the EU's commissioner of competition and has taken the lead role in regulating tech companies. For better or worse, the center of tech power now increasingly runs through government offices. And tech companies have no one to thank but themselves. I'm Alex Ewell. Welcome to The Readback. This season, we're doubling down on the past, jumping further back into the archives of Barron's to explore why companies, ideas, and industries thrived, even as others failed to meet their promise. In our frenetic news cycle, those stories are quickly forgotten, even though they hold valuable lessons for the future. Today on the show... Can tech companies fix their own mess? If you haven't heard our interview with Commissioner Vesterher, it's worth pausing and listening to that one first. As a recap, we talked to Vesterher about big tech's mounting power, how to counter it, and what it all means for consumers and investors. Vesterher told us that she has a number of new proposals coming out, which she says will be the EU's most important regulatory effort yet. They aim to make big tech companies more transparent about their decisions and algorithms. Vesterher's efforts are increasingly happening alongside other regulatory actions, most notably in the U.S., where the Department of Justice has recently sued Google for monopolistic behavior and is reportedly preparing additional lawsuits against other big tech names. But how did we get here? Was tech regulation inevitable? And is there anything big tech companies can do at this point to avoid it? We posed that last question to Vesterher. We're far along in this process. Can there still be self-regulation at this point? Well, I think they said it themselves in some of the hearings. We need regulation. And they're completely right. We need regulation because we cannot shape our future society based on decisions taken in either boardrooms or in autocratic states. It must be democracy who says, well, this is the direction we want to go. This is your responsibility. And I think it's about time. Microsoft founder Bill Gates, essentially tech's most famous alumnus and one-time antitrust target, has said on several occasions that he thinks tech should and will be regulated more. There will be more regulation of the tech sector. You know, we need to shape it so that the benefits outweigh, outweigh the negatives. Even current tech CEOs have called for the government to step in. Here's Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg. I don't think the question here is whether or not there should be regulation. I think the question is what is the right regulation? Um, I think the, the internet is becoming increasingly important in people's lives. Some sort of regulation is important and inevitable, and the, the, the important thing is to get this right. For Facebook, the call for regulation isn't exactly selfless. The company is looking for some clarity in order to run its business. But getting there is no easy task. Regulators walk a fine line between innovation and the need for transparency and healthy marketplaces. I would say there's a lot more that the technology companies could, and in my estimation, should be doing to help investors understand the ways in which they make money. That's Harvey Pitt. Today, he runs a consulting firm called Calorama Partners, but he's best known for his time as the chairman of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission nearly two decades ago. For American investors, the SEC is the most influential regulator. It's the SEC's job to ensure stock markets are fair 
and investors have the information they need to make good decisions. As a reporter, the SEC's disclosure rules are vital as well. It's how we learn about companies' financials, risks, and other information they'd otherwise love to keep private. Of course, there's plenty we still don't know, particularly from tech companies, which love to be opaque in what they tell us. Take Apple, for instance. It's the largest company in the U.S., but it's remarkable how little we really know about the company. Amazon loves to talk about its big sales, but the company doesn't actually disclose real numbers about Prime Day, Black Friday, or Cyber Monday. We're left to connect the dots. One of my most memorable reporting experiences was trying to figure out how many Kindles Amazon had sold back in 2013, when e-readers were still fairly new and something of a big deal. Amazon, you might remember, all but created the market for e-books, all of which were sold on its site and used on its own in-house devices. Understanding that business was key for investors to understand what Amazon was building. And yet, the Kindle was basically a black box. Amazon never said how many it sold. So I decided to reach out to every Wall Street analyst that covered the stock to get their best estimate. Six of them got back to me. Amazingly, the numbers were all over the place. For 2013, the estimates ranged from 10 million Kindles sold to 22 million. When you consider that each Kindle sold for, say, $200, that difference represented some $2 billion in potential sales. Even for Amazon, that wasn't nothing, especially back then. Here was a huge opportunity for Amazon, and Wall Street had no good way of sizing the business. I'd like to say my column changed things for the better. But realistically, big tech is no more transparent than it ever was. In fact, a few years ago, Apple went in the opposite direction when it stopped reporting the number of iPhones it sold each quarter. Now Wall Street is back to taking its best guess. I was reminded again of tech company secrets recently after the Department of Justice sued Google for its potentially monopolistic practices. In its lawsuit, the DOJ notes Google's cozy relationship with Apple. The companies have an agreement whereby Google pays to be the default search provider on iPhones. Neither company has ever given details about the practice. But the DOJ noted that the payment comes to more than $10 billion. Aren't Kindles, iPhones, and especially billion-dollar deals something investors should know about? I asked Harvey Pitt, given his experience at the SEC, how he would have advised Google and Apple. I think it is such a significant relationship that there should have been disclosure about it and information made available because it is relevant. And I don't understand why they didn't disclose it. So why aren't companies more forthcoming? And how do Wall Street analysts manage to forecast corporate sales and profits when there's so much that doesn't get reported? Yeah, no, it's an interesting topic. So I'll just kind of give you my background as I approach it. That's Charlie Anderson. He's a senior research analyst with Collier Securities. You might remember Charlie from a few months ago when we talked with him about Fitbit. To make our own disclosure, Charlie doesn't cover Apple or any of the big tech companies that have been in the spotlight of late. But as an analyst covering semiconductor firms and some consumer tech companies, he deals with this stuff every day. Basically, Wall Street finds a way to see through corporate America's black box. I'm just going to use a hypothetical here. I mean, let's say I cover a chip company where half of its revenue is coming from iPhones. And I knew that 
approximate value of the chip that goes in each iPhone, well, the, probably the key variable in the entire forecast is how many iPhones are going to sell, <laughs> right? You know, if I know that, I, I have I have a forecast. And so you, you do have the ability to sort of piece all these <laughs> disparate pieces together to get yourself, you know, pretty close. And there are other techniques. Charlie tracks app downloads in his coverage of Garmin, a maker of smartwatches and other things. So basically, if I have a Garmin watch, I'm going to download the new Garmin Connect app either on my iPhone or my Android phone. And then if you count that and watch it, you get a sense of how many watches they've sold. Correct. Now, it was more useful early days when people were downloading for the first time. Right. right. <laughs> when people under their second and third product, it's, it's considerably more difficult. Charlie says it's difficult, if not impossible, to be exact when you're putting these puzzle pieces together. I had a, a mentor in this business who once told me it's a hand-graded business. <laughs> and what he meant by that was, you know, you're just trying to get in the blast zone <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> you know, you, you're not, this is not a sniper shot, always. But why force investors to even play these games? Why not just give us the facts? A company may feel as though there's too much focus on one metric in terms of judging the value of their entire business. So, you know, if you felt like investors were preoccupied with how many widgets you sold, when you feel like what they should really be focused on is, say, the lifetime value of each customer. I'm guessing that it's not a coincidence that Apple stopped disclosing the number of iPhones it was selling. Around the same time, they were hoping that investors would pay more attention to the growing services part of their business, essentially, you know, their subscription services and not their hardware. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's exactly it. Harvey Pitt, who dealt with disclosure at the SEC, says one of the main reasons tech doesn't share is because of competition. Technology is a rapidly changing sector, so everyone is looking for an edge. And that means being frugal with information. There's a very thin line but it's an important line to be drawn between transparency and the revelation of proprietary or competitively advantageous information. So companies are allowed to protect their commercial secrets, if you will, except to the extent that those secrets have an impact on how they're running their business from a regulatory perspective, how they're using information that they get. For investors, that can be frustrating and contradictory. That, of course, goes contrary to what the federal securities laws are designed to achieve. They're designed to have everything filtered through sunlight. And the failure of these technology giants to talk about the kinds of pressures they're facing, the kinds of feedback they're getting, can deprive investors of the kinds of information that would alert them to a potential problem down the road. The consequences of all this became clear in 2018 when it came out that Facebook had handed user data to Cambridge Analytica, an outside research group. The firm gained access to data from more than 50 million Facebook users 
which it used to target ads in the 2016 election. That news sent Facebook stock tumbling 7% yesterday, and that is the biggest drop in four years. Today now, given the scandal that arose, that's something that we're now taking for granted. What you do with my personal data and information is certainly something I'm entitled to. But a number of years back, this was like a revelation to Facebook that hadn't really thought that it was required to safeguard the confidentiality and sanctity of its subscribers' information. So, in other words, big tech might be just too close to these topics to make a good decision. Even if their intentions are good, they might not be able to properly self-regulate. That gets to Vestager's earlier point. She says society can't rely on the free markets to course correct when it comes to big tech. Government and voters have to step in. I think many of these tech companies are afraid the more they disclose, the angrier people will become. And so they're facing the likelihood that by making disclosure, they open themselves up to attacks. But, you know, the quick answer to that is don't do anything that you think will open you up to attacks. It's not whether you disclose it or not. It's whether you do it or not that matters. In other words, transparency matters less if you follow the right values. As Google said years ago in its code of conduct, don't be evil. But things get complicated when you're trying to impress shareholders with faster and faster growth. And it's easy for a company to lose its way. On the one hand, companies can take more risks and drive more growth under the cloak of secrecy. But without transparency, there are few checks on its actions. Then again, transparency isn't always anathema to profits and higher stock prices. While Amazon never disclosed those Kindle sales, the company did start sharing more data about its cloud business, Amazon Web Services, in 2015. Here's Charlie Anderson again. You've got a business that for a long time is probably not ready for prime time to show everybody what's happening there. It's still in that, you know, kind of it's immature. It's still growing up, if you will. And then it reaches a point where it's really got its legs under it and the company wants to highlight it and, and, and they will. The disclosure sent Amazon stock into a new gear as investors learned to appreciate the huge growth coming from the business which is actually far more profitable than Amazon's traditional retailing unit. Charlie argues that investors ultimately do serve as a check on corporate behavior. A company that lacks trust will see its stock punished. And that trust in a company shows up in key metrics, like price to earnings. More trust generally means a higher share price for every dollar the company earns. In a lot of ways, it's just a perception, sort of a perception score sometimes. And a key component of perception is trust. <laughs> Right. And so if a management team or a company has done a very poor job on the trust side of things and they've eroded trust because they've removed transparency or it feels like they're hiding something, you know, that has an impact on their multiple. And so, you know, if you're a shareholder and you want the company to be successful, you don't want them disclosing things that could hurt them competitively. Right. And so, so long as you have that trust factor that, you know, the right things are being shared for the right reasons, that's how I would think about it. In this sense, transparency is related to profits, 
and Harvey Pitt agrees. Although it may not seem to be directly related to profitability, it ultimately will be, which is why you see so many companies now advertising and taking positions that demonstrate how committed they are to issues that are on the minds of people generally. Social media means companies are being scrutinized like never before. Customers arguably matter more than they ever have. Facebook does need its 1.8 billion users to keep showing up every day. And Google relies on being the default global search choice. In addition to worrying about increasing profits and growing and the like, they have to worry about their shareholders. And it seems with some of these enterprises, they are less worried about stockholders, subscribers, and others than they are about what makes them profitable. And that's when you run afoul of both common sense and potential legal restrictions. And it's when you probably find yourself at the mercy of regulators and politicians across the world. Finally, there are sometimes transparency runs into a bigger blocker, national security. That's what came to mind when I asked Charlie about the most secretive company he's ever covered. At one time in my career, <laughs> I covered a company whose two biggest customers were the uh, CIA and the NSA. Um, <laughs> how, how, how do you think that went? <laughs> <laughs> But that's for another podcast. Thanks for listening to The Readback. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, we're glad to have you back. Either way, we'd love to know what you think of the show. Please leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make it easier for others to find the show. You can also email us at thereadback@barons.com. Thanks to Charlie Anderson, Harvey Pitt, and Margaret Vesterher. And for more coverage on the future of big tech, you can check out barons.com. I'm Alex Ewell. The Readback is produced by Meta Lutzhoft and Katie Ferguson. Melissa Haggerty is our executive producer. Next week on the show, can movie theaters survive even after a vaccine? I just think the pandemic has thrown a wrench into everything. And now we're in this moment where we just don't know. Do people have this built up drive to be social as soon as everything's over and they'll be going out to movies and malls and everything and all that? Or have their habits changed permanently? We'll be back next week.